Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But as you know by now, we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. So before we get into today's podcast episode, which is an important and special podcast episode, I wanted to share with you all, my amazing loyal listeners, some very exciting news. I just found out that the How to Talk to Kids About Anything podcast has been downloaded over 100,000 times. In fact, as of this recording, this podcast has been downloaded 106,283 times, and it's all because of you. All of you and our amazing guests that we've had on, learned from, grown from, our own private masterclass in parenting that we get to have each week with these top experts and best-selling authors in the field. I can't believe it half the time. I just feel so fortunate to be sitting in the seat, and I'm just really excited that you love it too. And for those of you who have left reviews, Thank you and wow. They have been such bucket fillers. For example, J. Cruz 2279, you are on my happy list. Thank you for your five star review and saying incredibly useful information on communicating with your child, the teachers, coaches, and even other parents with easy to understand and implement strategies. The guests are amazing experts and thought leaders in the industry, and the discussions feel like I'm sitting having coffee with level headed friends. I really love that. Thank you for that. If you have children, work with with children or are planning on making children part of your life, I can't recommend Dr. Robin and her new podcast strongly enough. Well, thank you for that. A shout out to you, J. Cruz 2279. You made my day. And so have countless others of you. Every single one of your comments and reviews has been read. I've had only five-star reviews, and I want to keep that up. I want to give you quality uh, information and have these amazing guests on. They really make a big difference to me, these reviews that you're doing. As it turns out, the ratings and the reviews make the difference in how the podcast is seen by iTunes, how they position it on the page, how they promote it. So if you would, if you love this podcast, I would just so appreciate it if you take a moment to rate and review it because um, it does make a difference and I just truly appreciate it. Well, let's get back to business. It's back to school time and it's the perfect time to gather some of our best tips from our top experts who have provided some insight on what we must know to help our kids have a successful school year. The latest messages I've received from parents have been around homework and bullying and mindset. So I thought it would be fun given that this is a milestone podcast episode as we march forward from 100,000 downloads towards 200,000 or 500,000 or more hopefully that we take a look back on the best school related advice that we have gotten from our top experts and put it in perspective. 
So number one, let the kids make mistakes. It's how they learn and it's not a reflection of our parenting. If we continue to do the work of our kids, repair the problem, tie up the loose ends, clean up the mess, bring in the forgotten homework, I know that's hard, fix the mess ups, then our kids are not getting the practice of doing these things for themselves. Even if they make mistakes repairing the mistakes, this is how they learn. This is how they grow. This is how we move the starting line of how they approach the problem the next time. And it's also how the teachers and the coaches and our instructors in our kids' lives learn what our kids need to help move forward. Of course, this is not very easy. And it's very easy for me to say just sitting here while I'm not in the thick of it right at this moment, not with the kid in front of me who would just put the wrong answer on their homework paper, the child who left his homework on the counter, the child who refused to wear the jacket and you know it's too cold for recess, the child who yelled at his sister and now you just want to fix it, but what are they learning if we fix it all for them? Jessica Leahy, author of The Gift of Failure, who was one of our first guests, talks about making mistakes and allowing our kids to learn from them extensively. So let's peek in on our conversation to find out why we are so inclined to do this, to fix the mistakes for our children. Why do you think that parents don't want their children to fail and make mistakes. I mean, what reasons do parents give that <laughs> to step in and take over while they're struggling and trying to figure out a task? What, what, is, what is that about? What's going on? You know, I, I, there's a whole chapter in the book about sort of how we got here, but I think it comes down to we're having kids later, we're having fewer kids, we're having kids after more education and more time out in the workforce. And then we bring those tools, the tools we tend to use in the workforce and, and you know, in our education, like spreadsheets and um, our need for um, these constant, this constant feedback on our progress. We bring that to parenting mm -hmm. and we put that on our poor kids' shoulders. And we tend to measure ourselves as parents, like lacking any feedback. You know, we don't get progress reports on our parenting. Mm -hmm. um, so lacking that, we tend to look at our kids and we tend to say, oh, okay, well, you know, if my kid is getting all A's and my kid is on the traveling soccer league, then I must be doing great as a parent. And one of the things I talk a lot about is that not only is that unfair to kids, it's it's a it's false. It's empty. It's mm -hmm. not the fact that our kids our kids aren't reflections of us. Our kids are their own people, um, and to put that on them is really unfair. But the other issue is that I think. We tend to, um, I, I, in one of my, in my speaking engagements, I talk about the fact that every single night before I go to bed, there's this box. I'm a huge checklist fan, and there's this box I always need to check off, and it's it's the most important one, and that is, was I a good parent today? And the the things that I do to be able to check that box off, the ways that it's easy to check that box off, are those moments where I feel good. You know, I get that warm, fuzzy feeling mm -hmm. in my belly because mm -hmm. I rescued my kid from having to stay in from recess, mm -hmm. or I rescued my kid from someone teasing him because he forgot all of his stuff again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those moments make me feel really good, but mm -hmm. they do not teach him a whole heck of a lot. Right. So I think as parents, we need to step back and, and stop looking to um, those moments that make us feel good as uh, evidence of our own good parenting, because they're not. 
they're evidence of us making ourselves feel good, not necessarily evidence of helping our kids feel good about themselves. And that's a great, wise thing to realize and probably extremely hard considering <laughs> our <laughs> considering our society is, is I still struggle is, with it all the so time. So pressure filled. And I, my friend Kathleen Hassan, sometimes uh, I remember her saying everything needs to be bigger, better, faster, more. Right. Um, and I think that that is the philosophy that we use as parents often where we're I, I, if I could just let me just tie your shoe for right. you. Right. Let well, me because it's a tangible it thing. Yes. You know, we look for those tangible moments where we're like, ah, oh, yes, I did this today for my kid. My kid <laughs> I'm a knew parent. I had his back yes. today. Yes. Yes. Um, as opposed to looking more long term and saying, am I helping my kid grow as a human being over the long term? Because, you know, as as you well know, you know, things don't improve for our kids on a day to day basis. Our kids are not like better, stronger people than they were yesterday. But, you know, hopefully over the course of a year, they've improved and they've gotten to some higher level of learning and competence and all that kind of stuff. And it's hard to check that box off every day if that's, yes. you know, if that's sort of our goal. Oh, what an important thing. And then we have to shift to checking off that box when we feel like our kid has done something perhaps yeah. on their own, been a little bit more self-reliant, been a little bit more competent as you were talking about. I love that, you know, that idea of being confident through experience. I love the way you define that. So clearly we do this because our parenting can be wrapped up in our children's success. And this is dangerous, of course, not just for us as our worth and our feeling of success is clearly going to waver as our children learn if we do this, but also for our kids who either don't get the chance to learn and grow for them from their mistakes because we're constantly taking over, or they receive the message that they must avoid mistakes at all costs as it will upset the key adults in their lives. What does that do? That makes it so they don't want to try because they're so afraid to make a mistake. And that makes it so they can't grow. They can't find their passion. It can, it can seriously warp their ability to reach their potential. Perfectionism can be a very hefty price for fallout. It becomes important for us to show children that mistakes are okay. They're part of life. They can come back from them. They can cope with them and they have skills to do this. They have gifts that allow them to rise from that occasion. In fact, Jess Leahy also highlights something that I talk about often, that our children should learn that they do have unique gifts that can help them thrive. We often pick so much on what our children lack and so often forget to highlight their gifts, what makes them special. We especially do this with kids who have learning difficulties or neuro differences, but we have to really focus in on the gifts that every child brings to the table. They benefit from constructive feedback, of course, but they also benefit greatly from understanding what they bring to the table and that somebody who they value values something in them. It sounds like you really highlight the strengths in your students and at the same time can uncover their challenges and make them feel like they are able to conquer them, that they have what it takes to move forward in their lives without needing to rely on everyone else to do it for them. You know, that and that lesson came out of a student. I mean, I think that I, I think I knew that in the abstract, but knowing that 
as something that actually is is something that occurs to me on a daily basis came from a student. There was a student, we all have them, these Mm -hmm. students that when they walk in the classroom, we go, oh, God, there's that kid again, that kid that drives me nuts, that kid (laughs) that makes my life difficult. And I realized that I had so um, distanced myself from this kid Mm. and he had so distanced himself from me and we were so adversarial that the only way that that was going to change is if I fixed it. And the only way that I could fix it was to be able to find something good in him. Mm -hmm. And believe me, that was a struggle Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I worked really, really hard. I practically followed this kid around, just waiting for him to do something that I could really... (laughs) Show me something good. (laughs) Well, it's not... It can't be empty praise. It can't be, oh, you worked so hard on that, blah, 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 A for effort. It has to be something real because they're completely on to us if it's not real. Mm -hmm. And that moment changed our entire relationship. I finally was able to find that one thing that was a real and true strength of his. And, um, And, you know... Teaching from strengths is not something I'm making up. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's an entire book called Strengths-Based Parenting mm-hmm. that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's sort of what kids need from us. And that is definitely not to say that I don't give constructive feedback when constructive feedback is, is needed. I'm actually really known for being a very honest and very straightforward uh, sort of criticism giver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kids need to know that they they're worth something, yes. and especially kids who don't hear that very often. So, uh, just out of curiosity, what was it? What was his strength? You know, there was an assignment that was really, really hard for him that he didn't want to admit that was really hard for him. And normally, his mo was to just give up and blame it on someone else, or sure. or just not do it. Um, and I was a he he gave it a shot in a way that I could tell was genuine, and. I sat down with him and I said, and we talked about the fact that I I knew that this was hard for him and I knew that um, he didn't want to do it because he didn't want me to see him fail at it. He didn't want his parents to see him fail at it. And, um, and he, he started, (laughs) he started to cry and that was a, he had never, and I taught middle school at the time Mm -hmm. and boys in middle school in particular, it was fairly common for a boy in particular to stand up and turn his back to me as his teacher um, because he didn't want to see me cry. He didn't want me to mm-hmm. see him cry. Um, and he cried and he, he thanked me in, in, in the way he that he could at that time. You know, it really can't be that our children are so afraid of making mistakes that they don't try. Because even if you have a child who is doing what's asked of them, that they are getting good grades, that they are doing the sports or activities that you would want them to do, they may not be pushing themselves, trying something new, taking the risk, really reaching their potential because they're so afraid that they're going to make a mistake. And that means that they may be fulfilling what is asked of them, but they may not be fulfilling their true potential. So we really do need to be careful with that and allow our children to make mistakes, to try new things. As parents, we can get very caught up in discussing where our child falls short, the mistakes that they make. But as we learn from that last bit, we really need to make sure that we're highlighting their strengths as well. And that when they do take the risk, when they do show who they truly are, when they do something that highlights a strength inside of them, 
that we notice, that we take the moment to say we've noticed, that we see that they are capable. I actually talked about this with Debbie Reber, who was on my podcast, but I also talked about it on hers when she was talking about neurodiverse kids and where they struggle and where we often talk about their shortcomings. In fact, even the moment that we introduce them to the world um, with a play date, with a teacher, we may also talk about where they fall short first uh, to say, here's what to expect of them. But what we really want to be doing is introducing our child to the world in terms of their strengths, in terms of who they truly are, so that when we are talking to a teacher, not to start with, here's where my child falls short, but actually, here's where my child shines. This is what's amazing about my child. This is what makes me stop short and say, wow, you know, that your child has an explorative brain, that they are a great observer, that they are incredibly empathetic or kind. Whatever gift your child brings to the table, start there first. Wouldn't you want to be introduced that way too? Start with the strengths. And then of course, when you need to, talk about the challenges so that your child can get what they need, but also knowing that the strengths are the thing that will help them to thrive and will help them overcome those challenges. So that first tip for back to school is all about allowing our children to make mistakes while also highlighting the strengths that allow them to thrive and cope with those mistakes. How are you doing this? How can you check off that good parenting box that Jessica Leahy talks about and tells you that you allowed your child to flourish today, not by doing the stuff for them, but allowing them to make the mistake and allowing them to use their gifts to address that mistake and learn from it. If we go back to school with this tip in tow, we will be doing a great service for everyone involved. Okay, what is next? Back to school tip number two. Don't do your child's homework for them. This is an extension of number one, of course, but it deserves its own tip as it is our very back to school oriented tip. There is some merit in being around to help your child decipher how to do homework when needed, of course, but let's not confuse ourselves. This does not mean looking over your child's shoulder and fixing their homework when they've made a mistake. This is not making sure that they have all of their uh, utensils that they need, if they need pens or crayons or paper. You know, you can, of course, do all of that, make sure they have everything that's on the back to school list. But once you do that, we want to make sure we're not doing the homework for them. Let's listen in to what KJ Delantonia says about this very thing. So what are your happier parent secrets uh, to, to help the parents uh, who are listening embark on that incorporating homework into the daily schedule and still stay sane and happy? The happier parent secret to better homework is just some, it's some, not something you do. It's something that you know. So every single teacher or principal or administrator that I talked to, and there were a lot of them, said basically the same thing. When we take charge of our kids' homework, either making sure that it gets done or making sure that it gets done right or making sure that it gets back in the backpack or making sure that it gets to school, 
We have defeated the entire purpose mm-hmm. of the homework. I knew you were going to say something like that. And yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're like, yeah. wait a second, which so, part of that do I do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we all we all do because, like you said, you want your kid to do your, your be- their best work. And also, there's sort of this vague feeling of obligation mm-hmm. to the teacher that, um, you know, that's, that that's somehow supportive of them. And some schools do see it that way, but, yes. but I, most don't. Mm-hmm. And the deal yeah. with homework should really be that it's not yours. Mm-hmm. You've already done your homework. <laughs> um, you, know, you have presumably Could already you write that asked. in a note? Yeah. <laughs> Sign it for She's us. Done. <laughs> Dr. Silverman's homework is finished for her entire life. Um, yeah. So you can legitimately just back off from it completely. And there's some rewards for that. And one of them is that now you're not the homework police. Mm. It's not your fault there's homework. You're not the one making them do the homework. You're not the one telling them that the homework is wrong. And all of that emotional burden and stress around the homework can leave you where, honestly, it's way more fraught than it is with the teacher anyway, because that's just the parent-child relationship, Mm -hmm. and sort of flutter its way back to the school where they will impose any necessary consequences and, you know, do any necessary additional teaching. And that's... You know, that that's that's the deal. That's the that's the trade off mm. that we make with them. So yes. to, to to let that be your kids, it's just um, and, and I don't and let me just say it's hard mm-hmm. and that it's also kind of a process. So there's nothing you know, you kind of go from, um, you know, do you have any homework, <laughs> especially with. And with kids who are just starting to get homework, mm-hmm. or if you're trying to do those complicated afternoon schedules that maybe involve, you know, maybe you're caregiving for an older parent as well, and you've, you know, you've got to, you've arranged to take the family to see them tonight, or, um, you know, you've got, there are pieces that have to be put together often around the mm-hmm. homework, especially as kids get older and the homework takes more time. So you may need to know. Um, and also you may need to just help the kid who's just getting started with this to plan. Okay, you know, you have your if you've got an hour's worth of homework, I just want you to know you've got soccer after school and realistically even though it's done at 4:30, you're not home till 5:15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're supposed to go have dinner with grandma at 7. So that's going to be tough. You're just you know, you sort of have to help them to see a picture mm-hmm. of the night. But you don't have to do that part where you're like, is it done? Let me see it. You got this one wrong. Um, or the part in the morning where you're like, do you, do you, is there anything? There's this sort of fine line between being helpful. Um, you know, hey, I just saw your blue folder on the table. Do you need that? Right. Totally do that. But not like, do you have your homework? Do you have this? Do you have that? Because that, that, sh- that should be on them. Mm-hmm. And it's better when it's on them. So it's better when it's on them. Not that this is easy, of course. I mean, after all, we're talking about allowing our child to fail, as we discussed in tip one. And yes, some teachers do want us to go over the homework with our child. And if you are unsure if you're supposed to look it over or hand it back without looking it over, if you're unsure, you can always write to the teacher. I've definitely done this. Tell them, how do you want me to handle homework? When I see that my child has made a mistake, do you want me to bring it to my child's attention so he can try it again? Do you want me to discuss the mistake and have him fix it there? Should I leave it alone and allow you to do this? Once you get clear, 
go with it. Some teachers might ask you to say, please look at number three again. And if the child doesn't get it, to discuss what was missed. Some teachers might ask you to mark the homework as something your child still doesn't understand and allow the teacher to reteach it. Some will also tell you to let it be. Let the teacher see it as it is and see that your child might be confused about something so that they can reteach it or work with them independently. So find out without taking over. Okay, of course, all this mistake making and retrying can build mental strength, which brings us to our next very related back to school tip, which is all on bolstering mental strength. We know already that mental strength is built by allowing mistakes to happen, allowing our children to pick themselves up, up, dust themselves off, try all over again. But what else? Amy Morin explains that it has everything to do with us as key adults. So how do we, in general, as parents and educators or coaches, people who work with children, love children, help children, how do we help kids to develop mental toughness and avoid falling into these traps that mentally strong people tend to avoid? A lot of it has to just do with your habits as an adult. Mm -hmm. And when you are a good role model, you'll teach your child how to how to be in the world, how to get along with other people, how do you deal with disappointment, how do you deal with failure and setbacks and those sorts of things. And I think as adults, sometimes we try to shield kids too much from our own pain that we'll try to smile or say that's okay or we're so worried about if a child is sad that we don't ever show our own emotions or we don't talk about it. And it makes kids then feel like adults don't really have true emotions or adults, the only emotion they ever see is anger that when grownups get mad, they yell. And so I think it's really about teaching kids, yeah, I'm sad when that happens too, or I'm afraid of giving this talk at work tomorrow, but I'm going to do my best. And just having those sorts of conversations or when somebody cuts you off on the highway to say, I'm angry when people do that, but but I'm going to control my temper and this is how I do it. I take three deep breaths while I'm driving. And sometimes just having more of those conversations with kids for them to know, oh, you have feelings or when you have self-doubt that creeps into your head to be able to say, you know, sometimes my brain tells me I'm going to fail and I'm not going to do a good job, but I'm going to try my best anyway. And just letting kids know that those things are all normal. We all have negative thoughts sometimes and we all have these uncomfortable feelings. But when you can role model how you deal with those things and kids learn, oh, OK, so when I'm afraid, it doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. It means I can I can face my fears. And that's how a lot of kids learn about how to be mentally strong in the world. So it's important that we speak out loud, allowing our children to know our imperfections. We're right back there with tip number one of seeing mistakes and allowing mistakes to happen. But this time we're shifting it to us. We need our children to see our imperfections, our frustrations, as well as our coping strategies. If we're trying to raise a child into an adult who has skills and strategies to deal with frustrations and things that thwart their success, then we can't keep these a secret. What works for you? Is it meditation? Is it talking out loud to yourself? Is it breathing, listening to music, talking to a friend? Part of helping our kids to learn skills is teaching them, but part of learning them is showing your kids how to do it when you are doing it, or even talking about it from the past, like what you did do so that they can hear a reflection on it. But to see it in action is really golden. 
All right, we're going to shift directions right now because it's still about back to school and it's still a really important topic, but we're moving on from talking about mistakes and mental strength to talking about bullying. Bullying is a topic that we often discuss during back to school time as much of social aggression is rooted in the relationships between students in school. And of course they take it home and, and may uh, talk about it on social media, but we're really talking about students in school who know each other. Bullying is still very much part of the school culture. Studies tell us that more and more bullying can have a lasting effect on a person's mental health. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, of course, you know that this is a personal thing for me because um, you may know that I was bullied when I was in fifth grade and it was terrible and it was a year long ordeal and I cried every single day. Um, A girl who was probably three inches shorter than me uh, was really, really terrible to me every day and was somehow able to get the entire grade against me. And it made going to school really hellish for me. Uh, and I still remember it to this day. It is still very much embedded in who I am and in my DNA. And I can still feel those feelings. But One of the things that I posted on Instagram not too long ago was that I visited my old elementary school where I had been bullied. And I actually hadn't been back there since the end of fifth grade, the grade where I was bullied. And it wasn't easy going back. One of my best friends works as a teacher there, so I came to visit her. And when I entered, all those feelings came flooding back as I walked through those walls. And I knew, I remembered everything. I remembered where the library was, where the classrooms were, where the lunchroom was, where uh, I went outside for recess, where all those terrible things happened. And you know, it's interesting. Everything looked really small and almost like a film was over it uh, because it was, you know, older and more run down. I still remember that nobody knew how to help me. Nobody knew how to stop it from happening. The aides during the re- during recess stood there while they watched in front of their eyes me standing on the rocks and everybody else sitting on the stairs, you know, gossiping and pointing at me. And it felt terrible and I felt hopeless and I felt helpless. And the teachers would have meetings with the students about needing to change things, but Nothing did change, and they didn't know what to do. And my parents didn't know what to do. But really, most of all, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to change my situation, and I felt powerless. And the pit of my stomach was constantly raw. It it just felt terrible. So given that bullying has been an important part of my life, I mean, it certainly molded part of who I became, I wanted to make sure that I touched on this topic quite deeply with different experts and different opinions, um, various different strategies, so that parents didn't feel so hopeless and helpless and kids didn't feel so hopeless and helpless. We talked to Rosalind Wiseman, we talked to Michelle Borba, Carrie Goldman, Katie Hurley, even Dr. Dan Siegel talked about it a bit. We talked to some friendship experts. So we've been able to get pretty clear as to what kind of tips and scripts would help our kids. And I wanted to start with Rosalind Wiseman because she talks about what bullying is 
and how it differs from some of the other things that are impacting our kids and the culture that they are part of at school. Let's listen into that podcast now. This is the way I say it to kids is, you know what, like conflict's going to happen. People are going to annoy you. People are going to abuse their power. Um, And that's just a fact of life. And the goal for you is to be able to navigate that when you see it so that you, it it doesn't like take over or like your, you know, your feelings about stuff, like you lose your words or you feel manipulated or you feel like you feel like you have no choice in your friendships, like Mm -hmm. based on the way they're treating you. So that, you know, things are going to happen and your job is to be able to learn how to manage that. And that does not come overnight. It's a process. And it's also about understanding how adults can help you, but not do the work for you. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. um, so for me with kids, it's really important to also separate the difference between drama and bullying. So that bullying is about like, you know, going after somebody for what they are like, or what they're perceived to be and what they're identified to be. And drama is a conflict that's usually going both ways and people think it's entertaining, right. right? But the problem, the thing, I don't want to take away from drama because drama can be really painful for kids. I mean, right. really, truly. Like, so I don't want, so just because you don't label bullying doesn't mean it's a problem. So, but it's important to be able to separate the two because not being included on an Instagram post, I don't think is bullying. Like not being invited <laughs> right. maybe to a party, to a birthday party is maybe not bullying, mm-hmm. it, right? It could right. be drama. It right. could be rejection. Right. It could, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that it rises to that level. And I think we've got to be really careful about the words that we use because kids I are blowing off the word bullying all the time. They don't want to talk about it. Right. So, um, so that's the way I frame it for young people. And I say to them, look, you're not, you could be like 100% miserable and I'm not going to get you down to 0% of misery overnight. That's not the way this goes. Mm -hmm. But what I can do by trying to figure out what's happened and give you some, a way of thinking it through is that you can go from a hundred percent of misery to like 96% of misery. And that's better because there's like a 4% difference Mm -hmm. and you're going in the right direction. There you go. Mm -hmm. Small changes. Just small changes. Mm -hmm. And each of those changes builds your confidence that a, you can handle this situation and you can survive it. That like the other people that are making you miserable don't have mythological power. Right, right. And and each time that, because we, of course we have to talk about this over and over again, so each time something happens, it provides practice. It's not a time to freak out. It's that right. time to, okay, great. Now we can practice these skills. Not, you know, just looking for the bright side. Life is going to constantly give us these opportunities to practice these conflict skills and to deal with the garbage that's coming our way. And hopefully as we get older, we feel more confident in dealing with those with a little less uh, of uh, our adults helping us and a little bit of more of ourselves taking that step forward. Absolutely. When I'm talking about bullying in my presentations, and I've talked about it on Good Morning America, I use ABCD to explain what bullying is. And it's really been helpful, uh, especially when I'm talking to kids and teachers, and certainly with parents as well. 
what we're talking about is A stands for aggressive. Is this an aggressive attack? B is the balance of power unequal. Are we talking about an older kid with a younger kid, a bigger kid, smaller kid, a popular kid with a kid who's not so popular, or a kid who's typically developing with a kid who has some learning challenges or some delays? C, is it consistent? Is it happening frequently? Is it happening every day? Is it happening every time they see this particular person? And D, is it deliberate? Is there an intention to harm? This is a way of deciphering whether or not it is indeed bullying, right? Is it aggressive? Is the balance of power unequal? Is it consistent? And is it deliberate? If those areas are not part of what you're seeing, then it may not be bullying. It's probably something else. Now, I do think it's important what Rosalind Wiseman is saying here. Yes, it's painful, whether it's bullying or not. Even if it's drama, it's still painful. And it's important to stay open and listen and be there when our child needs to talk. Now, what do we say? Well, that's where Katie Hurley comes in. Now, even though she's talking about girls right here, we really can apply this to anybody. When it comes to what to say to a child who is saying that they are being bullied, we need to slow down and listen. The first thing I always tell parents is to really slow down your own responses and be okay with sitting with silence for a couple of minutes because it's better to be quiet for a couple of minutes and really think through your reactions than to overreact quickly and in the moment because our girls take their cues from us. So if they come to us saying that they're basically dealing with relational aggression and they feel hopeless and they don't know how to handle it and we immediately pick up our phones and start texting other moms and emailing the school and calling dad to get him in on it or whatever, you know, they see that over, that's an overreaction. It really is. And they see that and they start to become very anxious because clearly this is a high alert situation that they have just revealed. And now they don't know what to do with all those feelings. So the first really best thing parents can do is empathize with their kids and just really listen and ask questions and listen to the answers. So instead of formulating in your brain, well, what's going to be my strategy? What's my plan of attack for to fix this for my kid? Sit with your child. Listen to the words that she's saying to you. Empathize with her and say, oh, my gosh, that sounds really, really hard. I can't imagine how that must feel for you at school. Can you tell me how you're feeling at lunch? Can you tell me how you're feeling when you're sitting at your desk? What kinds of things are you thinking when you're there at school, you know, and a lot of times when we talk like that to kids, they will say, I'm thinking I want to come home. I'm missing you. I feel like I can't stay there anymore. You know, they'll start really sharing those inner anxieties and those inner worries that they're struggling to get through all day long, you know, and remember when girls are going through this, they are in survival mode at school when they are away from you, you are their lighthouses. So you know, they are in survival mode. They are waiting for that beam of light to wash over them and make them feel better. So we can't panic. We have to listen and we have to ask more questions while your daughter is starting to reveal things, you know, sort of make a note of it in your brain so that you can scribble it down later exactly what's happening. Um, so you can get a clear picture of what's really happening at school, who's doing what, who's saying what, how is your daughter responding? And then just sometimes a simple answer is, what do you think will make you feel better at school? Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's an important question. And I really like that she talks that talks about how we are lighthouses. And while we may feel compelled to jump into the rumble and I know how that is I understand that feeling I have been there we need to stop and allow our child to unleash his or her frustration their fear their sadness that they might be feeling we need to be the calm in the storm it's hard because we absorb all those feelings we feel those feelings that our children feel we feel protective and angry and frustration on top of that we have to breathe and be calm be the lighthouse that allows the light to wash over our children and restore them so that they can go back into the storm because they do need to go back into the storm knowing that they are safe and that we've got their back Beyond all this, we need to teach our kids to do what they need to do when they see somebody else is being targeted. So many kids are worried about reporting an incident of bullying. And yes, it's vital that every child know that we are here for them. If they come to us, we need to say, thank you for coming to us. We need to say it takes a lot of courage to say the words that you're saying, to tell us what's going on. I believe in you. I'm here to listen. I will help you in any way that you need. You are not alone. There is strength in numbers. And that's a lesson for all of our kids. Even if you're not the victim, you can be the helper. You can strengthen the target. You can change the balance of power. Listen to what Carrie Goldman says, who we interviewed about how to talk to kids about bullying. Um, and she specifically is talking here about being the bystander or what other roles you can take when you see something fishy, when you see that somebody is being targeted, being bullied, or is being picked on to a degree that you feel uncomfortable. There's really never a case to be made for being just a bystander. Like you can always act as a witness or an ally to someone in trouble. Now let's say that your child sees someone being picked on and they don't feel comfortable, you know, saying something in that moment. That's okay. You can still act as a witness or an ally by letting you know a teacher at the school know what's happening, even if you do it anonymously, by sending a text later, hey, I saw what was going on, can I help you, by checking in with someone. So if you see it happening and you just say nothing, that's the only unacceptable response. Mm-hmm. We want to in- empower our kids from an early, early age so that if you see someone being mistreated, you support them. And one of the mistakes we make actually as a society is that we think standing up to bullying often means confronting or attacking the attacker. Mm -hmm. But the best way to stand up to bullying is not to attack the attacker. It's not to go and tell that person, you're a bully, you're Mm -hmm. mean, you're terrible. It's actually to go and and flood the target with support. Mm -hmm. It's to say, you're valuable, you're okay, you matter. I'm taking in those words right now, you matter. And... Of course, that is so much about dignity. It is so much about worth. And I'm thinking to myself what that would have meant to me as a fifth grader going through this and feeling like I was alone. To feel like the other kids in school were rallying for me, were 
or even one person, if they came over to me and said, you matter, and that they flooded me with support, I think that would have made the difference, even if it was just one person. So I can say from experience, let's make sure that we do talk to our kids about that, um, that a little action, a simple action of just being an ally, of being somebody who is there and showing that the other person matters, that can make a lifelong difference. I truly feel that in my bones. So we need to teach our kids that there are many ways that they can change the culture of the school. They can change the situation. They can help a friend. They can help an acquaintance. They don't need to just stand by and watch because that's not okay. We can always be an ally. We can be a reporter. We could speak up and we can help in any way that is needed, even if we don't feel like we can walk up to somebody and say, hey, you need to you need to stop doing that. You need to stop picking on my friend. You can do many other things that can shift the situation for the better. Now, this all takes empathy, which brings us to our final tip of the day for back to school. Help your children practice empathy. Know its importance. Live it. Empathy is the key. It's really the root of friendship. It's the root of kindness. It's positive culture. Our children need to be able to put themselves in the same situation as somebody else and ask themselves, what would I be feeling? What would I hope someone did for me in this situation? That idea of empathy is the answer to how to combat bullying. In fact, Michelle Borba, one of our favorite guests who was on more than once, says in one of the podcasts she did with us on bullying that empathy is the key to ending peer cruelty. I put that up on Twitter and I tell you that was retweeted many, many times because I think it really gets at the core. Yes, Empathy, that is the answer. Here are her tips to parents, her top tips to parents. So give us your top tip out of all the things that we could do right now that could help end pure cruelty and build empathy. What's the one thing that you would say we could do? We've spent a lot of time talking about the kids right now in the last in our in our moments together here in the last two times. And I want to flip this a minute. And I want to put it on us. I think the tip is based on all of the research on what builds an empathetic child and what is a child who's less likely to bully. It's how he's raised. Yes. And three things always come up so often in every bit of research and they're too darn easy to overlook. Number one, we got to model it. Yes, we, we are do. a society now that has put Empathy down in the back burner. Mm -hmm. uh, role models are atrocious. Our children know, need heroes right. that are kind-hearted people. Children who are doing it, us that are doing it, if you could do anything, ask yourself every night, if my child could only see my behavior today, what would he have caught? And I hope empathy is on your mm -hmm. plate. He needs to see it. Second of all, not only model it, but talk about it. Yes. Children who are raised in environments that parents really expect it. And you talk about it in this house. Yes. I don't care what's going on out there. In this house, I expect you to be kind. And I expect you to have that same behavior when you leave this house and you treat others. Yes. So if we looked at just those two, yeah. and then we give our children number three, opportunities to be kind, opportunities to be kind with one another, 
what we're doing is we're stretching their little empathy muscles because we are having our kids practice everything and anything but. They're great at violin. They're fabulous at soccer. Oh, my gosh, do they know those math facts. But are they practicing kindness? Right. This is a world that you better put kindness at the top of the plate and have them practice it. And what you'll have is not an app and it's not another tutor and it's not another program. It's just you reinforcing the same three things that research says create empathetic children who are going to better the world. Well, that really says it, doesn't it? Empathy can end pure cruelty. And by helping our kids to practice kindness and have opportunities to show kindness, to recognize kindness, we can help then end pure cruelty. And by recognizing kindness in our kids, just as we would recognize grades or athletic prowess or artistic talent, then empathy gets some clout, right? Empathy can change school communities because once children put themselves in the position of others, they get a unique understanding of how their actions can be used to help or to harm. And then when we underscore them and value them and notice them, then our kids are doing it more and more. Now, this sentiment is repeated by Dan Siegel, who recently talked to us about awareness and then how our awareness of others and our awareness of ourselves can be a real game changer. But there are things that have gotten in our way and they need to be acknowledged so that we can move forward. Empathy also includes something called empathic joy, which is I really wish wellness and success on other people. So this now brings up the first part of your question, like what gets in the way? And I think what happens are a couple of things. One is we live in a contemporary culture where there is a lot of messaging, unfortunately, in homes, in schools, with social groups, with the media, and even from science that reinforces a view that the self is separate Mm. and that there's a deep sense of inadequacy in resources and there's a desperate need to make sure your separate self is somehow distinguished so it can be um, in a survival mode, essentially. And the way I describe this when I'm asked to go to schools and teach kids in high schools, let's say, or middle schools, you know, is I say, it's as if the culture wants a child to think of themselves as a candle and that who they are is the wax of the candle. And, you know, they should be the shiniest wax when they take a test, you know, in sixth grade or, you know, get into this fancy middle school or, you know, really work hard in high school to distinguish themselves when they apply to college. They get in the most competitive college and the college will assess them in the application process on the shininess of their wax. And ultimately, you know, what are you trying to do? You're trying to achieve this entry into the most elite graveyard, you know, and it's this, this perpetual sense of, I got to, as, as the saying goes, you know, race to nowhere. Mm. What it means is that if you see another candle next to you, you know, that's lit up, you want to blow out their flame and then blow out the other flame blow, so that you're the only candle lit up. So when you apply to a fancy college, they're going to pick you over your colleagues. Mm hmm. It's a, this destructive, competitive, yes. you know, f- fear of missing out, sense of inadequacy. It's terrible. So I think that gets in the way. 
And so what I say to the kids in school, and you can see this on our website at a high school, unfortunately, where there were a bunch of suicides, and they asked me to do an intervention, and the students made a video of the talk I did for the kids and the parents and the teachers and the administrators. So you won't see them because you'll see the back of their heads, but you'll see me because I'm facing the camera. And you'll see me say this to them, which is that think about another way of living where instead of thinking you're just the wax, think that you're also the light, mm-hmm. right? And that your job is to what? When you see a candle next to you that's not lit up, you lean over mm-hmm. to her and you light her wick. And then you see somebody to your other side. He's not lit up. You light him up. And then I say to the kids, what did it take away from my flame mm-hmm. to light these other two candles? And the kids go, nothing. And mm-hmm. then someone shouts out, but it made the world a brighter place. Absolutely. So we are talking about lighthouses and candles, folks. We're talking about what lights the way for our children and what ignites the light inside of our children. This back to school time can be extraordinary as you are embarking on the first couple of months of school. And know that all of these tips that we're getting from these podcasts highlighted today, as well as all the other podcasts that you listen to from week to week with our best-selling authors and our top experts, these are all making us stronger parents, stronger, stronger instructors, better teachers, and you know, that they're going to take some time. Sometimes these tips are going to work right away. Sometimes one tip will work better for you than another. Uh, Sometimes it's going to fail at first and succeed later. Just give yourself a break, give yourself some time and know that you are doing an incredible job getting all the information you need. And before we leave, I want to leave you with these incredibly powerful words from Amy Morin, who reminds us, that sometimes success can be a jagged line and uphill, downhill, and a roundabout way to get there. Progress doesn't always come in a straight line, so sometimes it'll feel like two steps forward and one step back. For yourself and for your child, there might be days where you think, I've got this handled and my child's doing awesome. And then the next day, everything feels like it's falling apart. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're all the way back at the beginning. It just means that sometimes things get a little bit worse before they get better. And that's part of the part of the process. So on that note, folks, thank you for having these conversations with me. I know it's not always easy and we are learning together. I appreciate each and every single one of you listening in, sharing these podcasts, doing those amazing reviews for me. Thank you so much. And talking to your children based on what we've learned here from these amazing experts that we've highlighted today, but also from the countless experts that have helped us learn and grow over the last 16 months. I am just so honored that you're here and that we've gotten this information together. We're learning and growing together. I'm looking forward to what's ahead as I write the book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, and I keep surging forward on this podcast with all of you. I hope you'll chime in and let me know what other topics you're interested in. I invite you to join our private Facebook group on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Um, We'll hopefully get some great conversations 
started there. And we're going to be talking, of course, on my regular Facebook page, Dr. Robin Silverman. You can get me on Twitter or Instagram. I love when people follow me and chime in and tell me what they're thinking. It's just been such a joy for me to get to know all of you uh, through social media. It's just a really neat part of, of what's going on in the world today. I really want to hear your viewpoint. So thank you for being such an amazing group and being part of this journey. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's great podcasts up there. The show notes will be up there. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And yes, I hope to see you on social media as well. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. Thanks for celebrating with me, everyone. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.